It's John Morris for Your Spirit FM. And once again, I've got the pleasure of sitting and talking in his office with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. Bishop, it's always a joy to come visit with you. It's been about a month since we talked. And at the conclusion of our last visit, we were just going into the season where priest moves come around. Why the move for priests around the diocese? Sure. Well, it's good to be with you again, John. And uh, you're correct. We uh, just recently issued a whole list of changes and assignments for a number of our priests here in the diocese. And anytime there's change, anytime there's transition, it can be difficult. Difficult for the priest, but also for the congregation, uh, for the parish that he'll be leaving. I guess what I would say is that for us as priests, uh, moving from one assignment to another is, is a normal part. Uh, of being a priest. It's one of the reasons that we make a promise of celibacy so that we can uh, serve God and his people with an undivided heart, that we don't become too attached or comfortable where we are in case we might be asked to move. So it is a normal part of being a priest, and I hope that uh, parishes that are experiencing a change in their clergy in the coming weeks and months We'll be open to that. We'll certainly thank their priest that's leaving for his ministry there, but also welcome the new priest who may be coming to the parish, either as a parochial vicar or as pastor, and uh, give him your love and support as well. Now, some people say, well, John, you work at the pastoral center. What goes on over there? What are the, what's the process? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not involved with that, but I know there is a process. Can you share some of that? Sure. What I do is um, I've assembled a uh, priest personnel board, which consists of approximately nine priests from around the diocese and myself. And we begin to meet in the spring. So probably beginning end of February, early March, looking at possible changes. We ask each of our priests uh, every year uh, if they'd be interested in a change or if they're happy where they are. But then we have to also assess, are there any retirements that are occurring and any other needs that might exist within the diocese? So it kind of starts out like a puzzle, you know, when you put all the pieces out on the table, but they're not connected. And then over a series of of meetings that we have, we begin to put those pieces together. And uh, usually within three or four meetings, we have a pretty good idea of whether we've been able to meet the needs that exist in our parishes or not. The priest personnel board recommends assignments to me. I'm part of the meetings, but they make a recommendation to me. Ultimately, it is the bishop, though, that makes the assignment. And I can assure you and, and our listeners that it's only done after a lot of prayer and discernment. Are lay people involved in any of this decision-making? Typically not. Sometimes we'll get letters from parishioners who know that the process is taking place or they realize it's the early part of the year and that assignments will be considered. Most of the time they're advocating that (laughs) their particular priest or pastor remain in their parish, and I I understand that. But no, it's pretty much a process of of a discussion among the priests um, in consultation uh, and collaboration with the bishop seems like there's typically the guys that come out of seminary or the the younger ones stay at a place around two years and the pastors stick around six or seven years before they're reassessed. Is that an unwritten rule or is that something hard and fast that comes from Rome? Well, with regard to pastors, we generally try to keep a pastor in a parish for at least six years. I don't know that that's a a written policy, but it's just kind of an expectation And the reason for that, John, is that uh, canon law envisions that a pastor will have some sense of permanence in his parish. In order for him to to get to know the parish and to make a difference there, 
he needs at least, say, six years to, to begin that process. Some pastors will be invited or asked to stay in a parish for a more extended period of time, but generally between six and 12 years is when a uh, priest would be considered as a possible candidate to be moved, again, depending on what the needs of the diocese are. Some of the listeners might remember a time when priests might be in their parish for, say, 30 years or even longer. Those days are kind of passing. We do have some pastors in our diocese that have been in parishes for quite a long time. But with the newer assignments, we we are trying to move them about every six to 12 years. And the younger guys generally, what, every two to three? I would say for our uh, parochial vicars, our newly ordained priests, and our younger priests, three years would be three or four years would be typical. Uh, And then we would ask them to take another assignment just to get a different experience of ministry here in our diocese. Uh, You're not immune to being moved either, as we noted last year. (laughs) That's true, John. And in fact, I I say I'm on my third diocese uh, in the last six years. Wow, that's right. Started in Orlando, a bishop up in Pensacola, Tallahassee, and now bishop here. Uh, in our beautiful diocese since last January. So even bishops, you know, get that phone call that they're being asked to move, and in obedience and respect to the Holy Father, we uh, usually do what he asks us to do. Right. Uh, Speaking of the Holy Father, he just came out with a new uh, apostolic letter, exhortation. He came out with an apostolic exhortation called Gaudete et Exaltate, which is Latin for rejoice and be glad. Have you had a chance to look over it? Sure. I've just gotten into it a little bit at this point. It's basically uh, an exposition on our call to holiness. You know, by virtue of our baptism, each of us are called to live good and holy lives and virtuous lives, and in doing so, you know, to give good example to those around us and really to help each other to get to heaven. That's the ultimate goal. But this document speaks to us about our call to holiness and, and ways that we can achieve that in our lives. A lot of commentary, and from what the little bit that I've read, uh, it's written in a very easy-to-read translation, and uh, really speaks to the heart of families and individuals. It certainly does, and this is very typical of what we've come to expect from our Holy Father, Pope Francis. His particular style is is very understandable, easy to read. You don't have to be a theologian or have a degree in theology uh, to to really understand it. It's not meant for that audience in particular. It's meant for anyone who might uh, pick it up and, and start reading it. April 22nd, I believe, was Vocations Weekend here in the in the diocese and around the church. CARA, the center that does research for the Catholic Church and other institutions, I believe, uh, came out with a study saying that the vocations were down a little bit across the country. Is that the beginning of a trend, or is that just a bump in the road? It's hard to say. I would say that they've been actually increasing, my knowledge, the last several years. Mm-hmm. So this year might be an aberration. It would right. take a, probably a few more years to, to determine if it's a trend or, or just a blip. But, I mean, the fact remains is that we, we do need priests in our church, and uh, we need vocations. And uh, we are blessed here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg. This year we'll be ordaining three new priests to our presbyterate here to serve, and we have uh, over 20 men in the seminary right now in formation. So hopefully they'll be our future priests. But it is a reminder to each of us that we need to pray for vocations and, in fact, encourage them in our families and in our community. And I believe that ordination takes place May 19th, is it? May 19th. Uh, it's a Saturday morning at the Cathedral of St. Jude the Apostle in St. Petersburg, and it is open 
to the diocese. So I'd encourage anyone who would like to attend to please do so. It's uh, always a day of joy, uh, not only for the men and their families who are being ordained, but of course for our diocese as well as we welcome three new priests uh, to ministry. It's always a joy to see all of the priests from around the diocese welcome three new brothers to come sit with them in, in the chairs following the laying on of the hands. Well, it's a, it's a source of hope, you know, for the existing priests because they know that if they want to retire one day, <laughs> there has to be a replacement. So we have to have new priests coming in to take their place. And uh, it's a source of hope and joy for our diocese. And you had two that just made it into the transitional diaconate earlier this month as well. We did. Uh, now Deacon Joshua Hare and uh, Deacon Anthony Astrab uh, were both ordained transitional deacons just a couple weeks ago at the parish church of St. Joan of Arc in Boca Raton. So they were currently in the seminary. They're transitional deacons, meaning that they will serve the next year as deacons with the intention or the hope that they'll be ordained priests in about a year. For you, when did you know that you felt like you had a call to the priesthood? I would say, uh, you know, I, John, I thought about it uh, from a pretty early age, maybe the time I was in second grade. So that young, about eight years old, mm-hmm. I went to Catholic school and uh, you know, was exposed to priests. And we always had priests that were friends with our family. My par- family was very involved in our parish church. Uh, we were as children, you know, as altar servers and youth group members and so forth. So I would say from a pretty young age, but then didn't think a whole lot about it during high school and uh, certainly not during college. Mm-hmm. Uh, during those years, I, sure. I think my mind was on other pursuits. <laughs> but uh, you know, once I was uh, out of college and, and working in business after graduating, that I, this whole idea about becoming a priest just kept coming back to me. Did you keep it like to yourself or did you express it with your mom and dad at, at a young age? No, in fact, uh, I did, uh, didn't keep it to myself. My, uh, my parents often thought when I was a child that I did have a call to be a priest. And then once I became an adult, I think they still thought I had a call and was just maybe in a little bit of denial uh, about it. But uh, I realized that this feeling that I had in my heart uh, and in my soul, that this is what the Lord was calling me to, uh, just wouldn't go away. And uh, it was something that I had to, to pray about and had to deal with. And ultimately, it led me to the realization that this is what God was calling me to do with my life. Are you younger or older than Stephen? Uh, Stephen is a year younger than I am. And that's your brother. My brother Stephen, he's uh, also a priest uh, in the Diocese of Orlando. He entered the seminary a year before I did. So he's my younger brother by a year, age-wise but my older brother in the priesthood by a year. And you outrank him a little bit. <laughs> but I, I think uh, when he entered the seminary and he had a very good experience, I think I said to myself, well, if my younger brother can do it, I can do it too. Did you guys as teenagers ever talk about that? Not too much. Again, during high school and during college, my mind was on other things and things I thought I wanted to do with mm-hmm. my life. Stephen was actually a little bit more of a surprise he didn't speak as much when he was a child about being a priest. It wasn't until he was also out of college and working in business uh, that the whole idea came to him. Part of the reason I'm asking you this, obviously people are curious about your call. Uh, some parents may not be too keen on their, their sons becoming priests. And yet if, if a child is exhibiting that, how, do, how does that reconcile in the family? How do you, what is, and what does the church say about that? Well, We, of course, would hope that parents would want the best for their child. What we would say is that would be 
would be what God wants for them. So we would hope that, that parents would uh, support a, a child's decision to become a priest or a brother, uh, religious, and even to encourage them to, to think about that as a possible vocation, that God could be possibly calling them to serve him in that way. I have spoken with parents, you know, that are a little bit concerned uh uh, either that or they, they want a lot of grandchildren. And, right. you know, so they have some very personal reasons for not wanting a, a, their child to become a priest or religious. But again, I think most parents want their children to be happy. And um, I believe and we believe that we're most happy when we do God's will. Do you recall people coming up to you outside of your mom and dad saying, Greg, you'd be a great priest? <laughs> I did. As a child, I think a lot of our family friends kind of saw that in me. And in fact, uh, to share a little story with you, Mm -hmm. when I was in eighth grade, uh, graduated from Catholic school, we had these little autograph books that the you know, you sign with your classmates and we exchange them sure. and write messages and so forth. One of my uh, mom's friends uh, wrote in my book, she said, uh, Greg, she said, I, I know that one day you'll, you'll achieve your life's goal, which is to be a priest. How about so that, that was in eighth grade. And I still have that book. And uh, uh, it was kind of prophetic. I don't think anybody predicted or said I'd be a bishop. So that was a little, <laughs> that was a little bit of a surprise. But the, the priest part was not... <laughs> So we've got another big event coming up this weekend. It's the consecration of the diocese to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And um, we're getting a lot of good feedback, people either that are going to attend or that will watch it by their parish through the live stream. For some people, they don't really understand what consecration is and devotions to Mary in general. There's a little bit of confusion, and why do Catholics do that kind of thing? Can you address that? Of course, and and you're correct. That is uh, something which is often misunderstood about the Catholic faith. We have a great respect and reverence for Mary as as the Blessed Mother, and the reason for that is because she perfectly cooperated with God's will. You know, she received the news that she was to bring forth the Son of God, and she said, let it be done to me according to your word. So she, as a a young girl, we think probably 13, 14 years old, received this awesome news and uh, submitted herself perfectly to God's will. So because of that, we always look to Mary with a great amount of respect. We don't worship Mary, certainly not in the same way that we worship God or Jesus Christ. That's a, a different type of worship that we offer to God alone. But because of Mary's role in salvation history and bringing forth the Savior, we do have a great amount of respect for her. And we look to her as an example. She was arguably the one who was closest to her son here on earth. She carried him in her womb. She raised him as a child. She was with him during his public life and ministry. She was with him at the foot of the cross. And so because of her closeness uh, to her son, Jesus, we look to her to help us to be close to her son as well. For those that don't understand Even the names of the churches, because a lot of them are Mary, Our Lady of Grace, Our Lady of the Rosary, Our Lady of Sorrows. How do those names come about and the devotions behind that? Yeah, so uh, you're correct. A lot of the churches will have in their name a title which is given or afforded to, to Mary, our Blessed Mother. And usually they recognize some aspect of her life, something that she experienced, Uh, some virtue that she espoused in her life. So we know, for example, that she did experience great sorrow. 
how could she not? You know, watching her son be rejected, watching her son suffer and ultimately die. She experienced great sadness and sorrow. So to call a, a parish Our Lady of Sorrows recognizes that. And it's a way that those who are experiencing sadness or sorrow in their own lives, again, can look to Mary as an example of hope and to ask for her intercessory prayer. Are some parishes tied to locations? In other words, Mary, or like Our Lady of Guadalupe? Is that a a city in Mexico? Yes. So sometimes the title of the parish would have a particular name where there was maybe an appearance of Mary, an apparition, or something of that nature. So you mentioned uh, Guadalupe. uh, I'm thinking of Loreto is another one, and so forth. Lourdes. Lourdes, of course, Our Lady of Lourdes. Um, With regard to the consecration, you know, we, we are consecrating our diocese this year to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, as a way of entrusting our diocese, our parishes, our priests, our religious, our ministries, our schools, every aspect of our diocese entrusting that to Mary's care as our mother. Uh, Remember that our Lord gave us Mary as our mother at the foot of the cross. And so we look to her again to help us to grow in holiness and to grow closer to her son, Jesus Christ. So it seemed like during this 50th anniversary year, it was a perfect opportunity to undertake this spiritual offering. You've been doing a lot of traveling around the diocese as well, and uh, it's confirmation season, uh, ordinations, as we said before we started taping, a lot of things going on. Will you have any time to relax this summer? I will, John. We do. Uh, I would say the next month or two are going to be particularly busy uh, with all those things <laughs> that you mentioned. But once we get into mid to late June, uh, things start to quiet down. One school gets out, basically. A uh, number of our ministries take a little break for the summer, and priests start going on vacation, and even the bishop takes a little vacation during the summer. Well, we'll be recording a couple more times before you go on vacation but we hope you get some rest uh, on all your travels. So thanks for joining us today, Bishop. Thank you very much, John. It's always a pleasure. And can we close with your blessing? Of course. And so may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon all who are listening today. Amen.